In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. On Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday, the Lord Jesus rides into Jerusalem and starts off what we call uh, Holy Week. And the crowds gather near with palm branches, and we'll unfold this a little bit in the sermon, but the crowds who draw near are seeing him as some kind of victorious king. And so we are to think then about Jesus as king, but unlike certainly the kings of this world. Now as Christians, we are given to think about the relationship between the church and the government as two kingdoms. Two different, distinct kingdoms, and yet God is king over both of them. And yet he rules each one in completely different ways. In the state, or the government, which we would call the left-hand kingdom, God rules according to the sword. That is, by power and strength, through force. In the church which we call the right-hand kingdom, he rules by the gospel. Not by force, but in the weakness and lowliness of his word. We recognize that the left-hand kingdom, that is the government, is only necessary as a consequence of sin in this world. Had there not been sin, we would not need the government to enforce against evil. The Lord gives the authority of the sword to the government on earth to stop evil by the force of power. So it's not ideal, and to be sure it is often abused, but it is necessary for how sin is curbed in this world using power. In our fallen world, nations must use power to defend their people against evil, But think about how this plays out. Now, I'm not saying this is bad. It is just the way it goes. When a ruler wins victory by power over other nations, he has to hold that victory by maintaining his power. That's how it is with all the military conquests of this world, both in the ancient days and certainly still today, as we even now see nations warring against nations, you don't keep your place as a victor unless you maintain and even increase your power. If your power declines even slightly, then you will be conquered by others. That's just how it goes. That's how it is in sports, too. If we learn anything from the greatest movie of all time, Rocky Three, the one with Mr. T and Hulk Hogan, where Mr. T says, I pity the fool. It's that if you stop maintaining your power, you will be beaten. It's true for politics, job promotions, business success, and really most aspects of this world. If you want to win, You have to have more power than the other guy. You have to work harder and do better. The early bird gets the worm. No pain, no gain, no guts, no glory. It's the size of the fight and the dog. 
When victory is gained by power, though, it has to be maintained by power or it will be lost. That's because the enemies, the defeated ones, never completely go away. They regroup and get stronger and then they rise up again. Or even if they happen to be vanquished, if one enemy is eliminated, then others will come in their place. And so the victor cannot rest. He can never let his guard down. Those who gain victory by power are forever in bondage to power. Forced to live according to power, always worried about being defeated, always focused on self-improvement. If you win by the sword, you have to keep your sword sharper or you will die by the sword. That's just how it goes in this world. Palm Sunday, in contrast, is a picture of a king riding into victory in Jerusalem to overcome all the powers of this world, to defeat eternally sin, death, and the devil. The crowds even recognized that he was a king coming in victory, hence all the palm branches, which was a symbol of military victory in the history of Israel. He was fulfilling a prophecy also by even riding that donkey. We can recall from some of the other gospel texts that Jesus had gone out of his way to secure those donkeys. He sent the disciples in to go get the donkeys and bring them back. He had been in Bethany. It was only a couple miles away from Jerusalem. It would have been easier to walk in. But he went and get those donkeys so he could fulfill the prophecy from Zechariah that said the king will come riding on a donkey. Everybody was picking up on that. They realized that this was a king coming. And so they grabbed their palm branches. And even more, as today's gospel says, a lot of the the crowd that had gathered had been part of the crowd that was there at the raising of Lazarus, which again was only two miles away down in Bethany. And so they would have seen Jesus do one of his most excellent miracles of raising somebody from the dead. So now they've got really high expectations. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9. He's going to be the king. He's riding on a donkey and he just raised the dead. They're expecting something great. And he would bring victory and he would be king. Just not what they expected and not in the ways of this world. In contrast to the power-focused way of this fallen world, the Lord Jesus comes in self-chosen weakness. Philippians 2, our epistle reading, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself, coming in the lowliness of a servant. He rode into victory, wielding no sword and riding no war horse or chariot, but on a lowly donkey. He emptied himself of power, joined himself to our flesh, and chose the way of lowly suffering and death. He humbled himself. That is, he considered others greater than himself. He was not demanding submission, not coercing obedience, and not threatening with force. 
This king allowed himself to be beaten, spit upon, mocked, whipped, and crucified. And in that weakness, all the powers of this world were undone. Sin was paid for and forgiven. And sin, by the way, accusing us of sin is the only power that the devil would really have over us. And so if sins are forgiven, the devil also loses his power. Death is destroyed with his death on the cross. And with his resurrection from the grave, eternal life is secured for us. And so the Lord's victory was complete. There was no lingering threats remaining as it is with worldly victories. There was no fear that he better stay on top of things and improve himself and keep control. Otherwise, sin might again rise to power. There was no worry that death would swoop back in and gain power over life. There's no concern that the devil would rise up and somehow regain power in this world. Unlike the kingdoms of this world, the victory of Christ was complete. Enemies vanquished and rendered impotent. So this king was not worried about those things. When a king wins victory by power, he has to hold that victory by maintaining power. But since Christ's victory didn't come with power, it doesn't need to be maintained by power either. Jesus doesn't have to worry about keeping the enemies subdued and doesn't have to intimidate with feats of strength. That is, he's not worried about all the things that we are worried about. As evil seems to gain a greater foothold in our society, as the church is attacked from the outside with violence and legal policies, and inside with false doctrine and unfaithfulness, he doesn't grow anxious. He never says, oh no, I can't believe it's getting this bad. Evil is getting too great. I better step in and remind evil who's boss. He doesn't worry about the wars that we worry about. He doesn't worry about death and the diseases that we worry about. Because all those problems have been overcome and undone by his death. So you don't need to worry either. He doesn't worry and doesn't need to maintain his kingdom with power. He maintains it in the same self-chosen weakness and humility by which he won it. That is, he keeps delivering the spoils of victory to us through the lowliness of a spoken word, of sins forgiven. He speaks to those who worry about conquered enemies, to us who see the evils of sin, death, and the devil and grow in fear and panic. With gentleness and humility, he speaks his word of sins forgiven to us, stripping the devil of any power, laughing at the temporal annoyance of death, and lifting from us the heavy burden of shame and guilt. 
Each day, as we look at our world, we seem to be seeing the enemy grow in power, even inside of ourselves and our own families, and we worry. We think we need to increase our power and find a way to force evil into submission. But that's the way of the world. The way of power would have a culture canceling voices of opposition and pitting groups against groups. The way of power escalates the conversations on social media and in marriages and even among friends. If you live by power, you live in bondage to power. Living in fear of being overcome by power and fear and pride will control you. But Jesus overcame by lowliness and he sets us to live in humility. As those who have been brought into the victory of Jesus in lowliness and humility, as those who daily receive his peace and have his cross delivered into our panicky lives, we live our lives in this world in humility toward one another. Have this mind among yourselves, says Paul. That is, be like Christ in this way. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Have this mind among you. The humility of Christ that had him putting others before himself. The self-sacrifice that loved us more than himself. That's how he sets us to live in this world. Not grasping for power or living in fear of defeated powers, but putting others before self and our vocations in marriage, family, and work. We forgive and ask for forgiveness. We encourage and we even show mercy. Today, we join our voices to the crowds who welcome Jesus into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. Hosanna, which means save us, we pray. Hosanna, blessed is he. We wave our palm branches in victory, for he has overcome those things that bring us fear. He has undone the powers of this world. Fear not, your king comes to you lowly on a donkey lowly on a cross, lowly in his word, lowly in baptismal water, lowly in bread and wine, and at that, the powers of this world are undone. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.